Hey, everyone. Welcome to Meat Sports Alcohol for Monday, April 5th. I'm Dylan. And I'm JMO. Uh, we have an awesome show for you today. Uh, we're first joined by Kevin Van Valkenburg. He's a senior writer for ESPN, uh, and he's a big golf head. And we do some master's preview. Uh, we talk a little bit about his background, what it's like to work at ESPN. Super fun interview. Great guy. One of my favorite interviews we've had yet. Yeah, it literally works at ESPN. We got someone that not only works at ESPN, like acclaimed senior writer from ESPN. Some shows can't even get guys from ESPN on the show. Don't want to call anyone out. Pat McAfee can't have guys from ESPN, but Me Sports Alcohol is way ahead of you. We can, uh, yeah. So we have him on the show. It's an awesome interview. After that, we do some March Madness recap. Uh, we got our intern Jordan on the phone as a surprise. He didn't know he was coming on the show, and he may have I been think a he did a great tipsy. job. Oh, yeah, no, he did a great job. Yeah. We're proud of him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He yeah. actually he actually killed it. We're actually afraid that he's going to try to take our job as host. Uh, so yeah. we can't yeah. gas him up too hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. And just one last note before we get started. No, last week we sounded like pretty big Chet Hanks fans. Just want to go ahead and say after some of the things that may have come out this week, we disavow our fandom of Chet Hanks. Uh, never big, not, never that big of fans to, to begin with. It's kind of a shtick. Um, also want to say white boy summer lives on without him we're going to keep trucking along with white boy summer we don't need chet no we don't need chet uh we can enjoy our white boy summer without abs and without salmon colored shirts and without chet hanks uh i'd say the the white boy summer lives on and we will be the official ambassadors yep it's a white boy chetless summer and on that note take it away we now welcome on kevin van valkenberg he's a senior writer for espn uh, and we're going to talk some golf with him, something ESPN, being a sports writer, a bit about his career and everything else. Um, so thanks so much for coming on, Kevin. Really appreciate it. You bet, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, I first want to give out some congratulations to both of you, Kevin and Dylan. I feel like this is the most amount of Montana representation on a podcast not about Montana that <laughs> I've heard. So shout out to Montana and shout out to both of you guys. That's, that's pretty we're slowly cool. taking yeah. over the world, right? Yep. One step at a time. <laughs> well, I did want to ask, is there, what is the Montana representation like in the ESPN world or the sports writing world? Are you uh, a lone, lone soldier? Or are there more of you? Well, it's, um, I'm not a lone soldier. It's, um, it's pretty small. My, one of my best friends, uh, Seth Wickersham actually went to Montana state for a year before he decided that uh, he didn't want to be an architect and was going to go or an engineer or something and was going to go to Missouri journalism school. So I always kind of rib him a little bit about being a Bobcat and me being a Grizz. Um, and he's certainly as good of a journalist as there is out there. Um, mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of what other Montana people, I mean, for a while, Ryan Leaf was actually uh, at ESPN. And, uh, and so I kind of joked that I was 
the second best double uh, A football player uh, on ESPN's <laughs> rank. But <clears throat> he had just beaten me out by just a little bit. Um, <clears throat> I'm trying to think of in terms of writers. Um, there's not too many. There's a couple. There's a there's a guy who covers tennis um, for a bunch of different things. Who's uh, was in Hel- from Helena, and um, gosh, I don't know. It's it's very few and far between there was one matt walks who, who went to oregon he he works now for the raiders um yeah that's about it i'm sort of racking my brain i'm i'm happy to represent a huge swath of a very sparsely populated part of the country so yeah i've i've found that in almost any situation when you're the one from montana you're the lone person from montana and everyone will always ask you questions being the guy from Montana. <laughs> yeah. Dylan wanted to turn this whole interview into just you guys talking about different Missoula things, like yeah. different bars <laughs> or best burger in Missoula and things like that. I, I mean, know. it'd be super entertaining. The audience might be pretty small, but uh, it'd be <laughs> they would love it. The niche audience would love it. Yeah. Um, being, uh, being from Montana and being an ESPN writer, um, I'm, I'm always curious uh, how Montana people get their sports fandom, what their origins are like. I have I'm fans of completely random teams and it's just because of decisions I made when I was 10 years old and I've just stuck with them. Um, yeah. I know you you lived in Bal- or you live in Baltimore. You've covered um, are you work for the Baltimore Sun for a while? Are you a Baltimore fan or is it were you did you make your decisions at 10 years old like me? I definitely made my decisions at 10 years old. I grew up um, primarily I would say my biggest fandom of all was the Lakers. Like I love Magic Johnson. And I, you know, sort of adopted Kobe Bryant as the kind of next part of that chain. And, um, and it was like a, a big Lakers guy for a long time. And weirdly, I also liked the Bears because like Walter Payton and like Mike Singletary and that sort of era of guys was right about the time it was 1986. So I was, you know, nine years old when I first started paying attention to football. And a lot of my uncles were like, I'm an Irish Catholic critic kid in there and part of our origins are from like boston and so it's like oh yeah and we're red sox fans so it was like pretty r- ridiculous to have like the whole country covered like you know oh yeah i'm a midwest guy oh no actually i'm a west coast guy no i'm an east coast guy so i mean i pulled pretty hard for those teams at various points in my life but also then working in sports media for 20 years i kind of soured in some ways about like fandom which is probably a a sort of sad part of it Mm -hmm. um but i kind of like stopped pulling specifically for certain teams i mean like it's pretty cool like the first time as a bears fan you go to a bears game right you're and then same with like blakers and then after a while you're like okay like i need to be professional i need to like not have and it maybe it like deadens a little bit of that in you um and so i don't know like i still you know, like the Lakers won the championship last year in the sort of weird COVID year. And I flipped it on for, you know, three of the seven games or whatever. There was a time when I could have never missed a Laker game. And it just wasn't, you know, it just doesn't quite resonate with me quite like it used to. Golf is probably the one thing that I still hold on to that way because I can just pick different guys that I want to sort of care about and or that I had written about and gotten to know and stuff. And so, um, yeah, my my fandom is super like all over the map. Yeah. That's funny because I'm, you know, I picked my teams when I was 10. I'm a Miami Heat fan mm-hmm. and the NBA finals drove me crazy. I was watching it with my shirt off, throwing stuff. Like <laughs> we probably had complete opposite watching experience. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, that's what so many, I mean, I, I tell you, my dad grew up uh, in Denver till he was about 10 or 12. And so he was a big Broncos fan. And that would have been a pretty easy thing for me to also like be a Broncos fan. But I just kind of wasn't like, it just wasn't really my thing. And a lot of my friends were Seahawks fans, but then a bunch were like 49ers fans or Raiders fans, or, you know, I, I, had, I even had friends who were Redskins fans and Bills fans. I mean, it, it was such a sort of like fun. I, mean, I remember we'd go to the press box in Missoula, shout out to Missoula places. Here. Yeah. And they are the only place in the whole like city that would have, every, you know, direct TV. So you could get every single game that you'd put on. And so there was like the one lions fan guy who had been there come there for 20 years. And there was, you know, I'd ask to have the bears on and my buddy would ask to have, you know, the Redskins on and stuff. So that was kind of my growing up in terms of like, we were just all over the place. Yeah. That's kind of fun though. I mean, living in a place where it seems like everyone has their own teams a little bit, um, except for the Seattle part. Dylan and I have friends who are Seattle Seahawks fans and they're <laughs> atrocious. I just can't stand that for a second, but you know, Seahawks fans when I was growing up were like, just been, had been kicked in the face a thousand times. You know, it was like Steve Largent or like Kurt Warner were their people. Yeah. And then, you know, the Seahawks got really good and they sort of became kind of arrogant. And it was like, I have this theory about like fan bases that haven't experienced success. And then all of a sudden they get really good. It's like microwaving a pizza, right? Like, it's just terrible. It's way too hot and it's disgusting and it's like totally out of control. And those things need to kind of like simmer over time and like, you know, learn to kind of appreciate success and failure or whatever. And so like that's why part of the, the most obnoxious fan base after they'd won it all was the Red Sox in some ways, right? Because they didn't know how to deal with success. It was like all of a sudden overnight they were like, oh yeah, we're, you know, and, and they just became insufferable. And that made it hard to kind of continue like being a Red Sox fan, the same intensity that I once was. Yeah. And that's on top of already just being a insufferable Boston sports fan. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. yeah. That was always like a hard thing for me to kind of like, I hated Celtics fans. And yet like most of those people were also Red Sox fans. And so like the <laughs> crossover for me was a pretty tough thing to handle. Yeah. yeah. That's a pretty timely comment too, just for this podcast, because I'm a Nets fan and okay. uh, Dylan yeah. can attest. I've been pretty obnoxious about it. Mm-hmm. so uh the the tortured fan that all of a sudden gets like launched into success theory <laughs> has been proven true on meat sports alcohol so far yeah, sure. pretty the very soggy crust of a microwave pizza <laughs> <laughs> yeah well one person also timely that you've been defending uh is jordan spieth you've kind of been his guy a little bit or just saying like don't get down on him um, or have just been defending him a little bit. And then today, Spieth won for the first time in, I think, over 80 tournaments. So as someone who's – I saw you were retweeting some of your old tweets from, like, over a year ago defending him. Very uh, classy behavior on my part. Very sure <laughs> to be, like, spending your Easter retweeting the king from a year ago. <laughs> anyway. No, but how was that for you? Like, this is your, this is your moment. Yeah. Spieth I mean, finally I- came around. It would have been a lot more fun if this happened next week, right? Is it, if Smith had won the Masters instead of the Valero <laughs> Texas Open. But I, you know, I, I just, Jordan was so young and a lot of the things that sort of bugged me about some of the criticism of Spieth, it was like, oh, you know, he just got lucky for that stretch. Like all he was was a good putter. He's never going to sort of, that, that was just going to sort of regress towards what it was. And it was, that was mostly people who just weren't really paying attention. You know, Jordan Spieth was like, the best iron player in the world for, you know, a three year stretch or so. And just really 
is represents a lot of what I love about golf, which is that guys who sort of don't have a classically like beautiful swing, but kind of just know how to think their way around the course are a lot of fun. They make it more fun to watch than just the guys who are like robots. And Spieth has always just been such a, you know, a, what we call it sometimes like a cocaine train, like, woo, it's so fun. And then the letdown is like such a crash. And like, you know, he's just, he's enjoyable in a lot of ways. And so I always kind of hoped and, and figured that he would figure it out at some point. And that sort of like advocated previously, like, why don't you put him on the president's cup team? Nobody cares about the president's cup. Nobody cares. Like it would be a good boost for him and got a lot of like pushback and stuff about that. And I, you know, I feel like some of that proved to be, would have been right. Like Jordan Spieth should totally be on the Ryder cup team this year. And it would have, helped him in some ways to have been on the president's cup team. And he's totally going to, I would think, contend at Augusta, you know, next week. And, you know, he's just too good of a player to have been lost in the wilderness forever. I think he finally kind of revealed to Ryan Labner, the golf channel that he had had like a bone chip in his wrist and that had been part of the problem and stuff. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if he was, you know, in the mix on Sunday of next week. And this, a lot of people say, Oh, you shouldn't win the week before the major because it's so hard to win two weeks in a row. And, you know, I think he could totally like in some ways this is good because now he's already got the feeling over of like, yeah, I, I can do it again. So now the pressure is off if I don't have to win to to sort of cement the comeback. Yeah, especially after he won. I think it was those two weeks where he was runner up or almost runner up, if not runner up. And it was like you're basically over the hump because you're playing so well. But to just not have the win, like, that must weigh on you mentally. So it'll be – like, it will be exciting to see how he does next week for sure. It's just um, a fun course for him because, like, you really have to think your way around a lot of things, right? There, every lie is uneven. And so every shot is kind of creative and imaginative. And there's a lot of places where if you miss – you can get back in the hole and then all of a sudden like you make a crazy birdie and it's like, you've completely flipped the, you know, the momentum of how you're feeling like your round is going. And he's just done that a lot of times. And, you know, really the, the last round, I don't cover golf anymore for ESPN, but the last round that I did really um, cover at the masters was him almost running down um, the year that Patrick Reed won it. And it was just, you know, an unbelievable round to watch. It was just so fun to watch it unfold and watch him almost, you know, shoot 64 and almost shoot, you know, 62, 63, somewhere in there. So, yeah. That's the, the high of the cocaine Jordan Spieth experience is when he just out of nowhere, will just mm-hmm. make everything shoot everything close. Like it's, it's super fun to watch. Yeah. Um, you mentioned um, when you were covering golf for ESPN and you don't anymore. Um, I would love to just like get a little bit more background of um, how you got started in that space, um, kind of like your progression towards eventually covering golf for ESPN. Yeah, I mean, I, do you, if you want me to go back to the beginning, I will. Um, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> I uh, we're, we're just asking for career advice. Still, and I are taking notes. Yeah, this isn't yeah. for the podcast. We just want <laughs> well, first of all, get a time machine and uh, you know set it back to about 1998. Yeah, uh, where media business was booming. Um, no, I mean having a podcast is a huge is a good first start instead of like trying to go work for a newspaper because that is not a good path. But. Um, <laughs> I, when I was, let's see, I went to the University of Montana. Uh, I grew up in Missoula. I played football at Montana for two years. 
And I was very bad at the, at the college football because I was a little too slow and a little too um, short to be great. And so I kind of realized I needed to do something else with my college life and um, gravitated towards journalism, had written for my student paper in high school and liked it a lot. And so wanted to write for the Montana Kaiman and did that and kind of, um, I mean, loved it as much as any sports that I ever did. And out of the blue got um, like applied for like 50 internships and got like 49 rejections and one sort of callback from the Baltimore Sun saying, yeah, we'd love to have you for a two-year internship that turns into a job as long as you don't fuck it up. So um, I went off to Baltimore uh, right after graduation and I covered for the first year, like crime and cops and courts kind of stuff, which was uh, crazy to be, go from, you know, being in Missoula, Montana for your whole life and then covering triple homicides in, in Baltimore. It's like the wire. and yeah yeah i mean that and in a lot of ways like the wire helped me understand a lot of the complexities of the city and reading a lot of the stuff the journalism that david simon did that yeah kind of inspired the wire and so then after a year i moved over into sports which was always kind of their plan for me and i just plucked away and covering high school sports for two years and then i was the navy football beat reporter for a year they went like two and 11 i think that year and so i won the first game of the year and the last game of the year so i got to write about 11 straight losses in between uh and then i was the maryland football beat reporter for two years and they were kind of okay nothing great um and then i was what was it happened the so then i became and basically like the olympics reporter and i covered michael phelps um who was from baltimore and or is is from baltimore and uh, spent a couple of years chasing him around the world. Um, got to go to Australia and to for the world championships and to China for the Olympics and um, stuff like that. And uh, then after that, I kind of settled in a little bit as like a Ravens feature writer slash columnist. Uh, it was kind of when the internet was the expanding the possibilities of what you could do for a newspaper and there were no real like rules or anything. And so I just kind of like started writing columns on the uh, Mulder Sun's website without really asking permission from the bosses or anything. And they got so popular that people like demanded, you know, that they like get like actual play in various places. And um, I had really always wanted to work for a magazine. Like that had been my, uh, career like goal. I had grown up reading Sports Illustrated at like it was my Bible. And um, so I had sort of finally gotten up the courage to kind of apply for um, various places or just sort of put my put my name into the mix and say to like Sports Illustrated and to ESPN the magazine, you know, I'd really like to work there. And both of them <clears throat> brought me in for an interview and ESPN was the one that had kind of was interested in offering me a job. And uh, I was, you know, I'd lo- grown up loving Sports Illustrated, but I was basically like, I'm going to make Sports Illustrated regret not having hired me. That is, I'm going to make work, do such good work for ESPN that they're going to be, um, you know, always wish that they could have taken the chance on me instead. And so that was kind of, I worked um, covering mostly just uh, features uh, in football for a while. And, Back then, it was kind of almost a little bit similar 
to where there wasn't really as formal rules for the website. And so you could just write stuff here and there if you had ideas about the website. And I ended up, uh, I was writing a, a feature about Roy McElroy. And so I ended up going to a couple majors and while I was there, I just sort of said, you know, would you mind if I wrote a column? I have, I have like ideas about Tiger or Phil or whatever. And they were like, yeah, sure, go ahead. And they were really good, I think. And so the one of the, like the international editor at the time was like, I'd like you to go to all the majors now. And so that's kind of how I just sort of out of nowhere became like, you know, a golf columnist for ESPN. Uh, <clears throat> and so I did that for a few years. And now I work um, as part of our, enterprise and investigations team where I sort of do, you know, the heavier lifting kind of reporting things and work on longer projects and stuff. And that's really cool because it sort of forces me to, I think, stretch a little bit in terms of being a more serious, hardcore journalist and, and stuff and do some things that maybe I, you know, can grow in and grow into and stuff. So um, yeah, it's uh, that was kind of the, my career path. Um, I wish that, like, as I would give advice to people a lot of that, I had better sort of sense of like, how would you go about like getting into the business today? Well, you know, I worked in newspapers for eleven years, and I started at an entry level position, and those entry level positions don't even exist anymore in newspapers. So, in a lot of ways, like the best way to make it in the media business is to kind of start your own media company and just start making shit and, um, you know, either get that as a springboard into some bigger media company or get bought out or get, you know, get someone to kind of offer you a job doing it in an even larger sense. Um, but you know, to frankly, like anybody's guesses are as good as mine. I just kind of want to keep working hard and hope that I can keep the job as long as I can <laughs> because, uh, it's really fun and it's, yeah what I kind of dreamed of doing, but, um, you know, there are only so many of these jobs and, uh, you know, the people who have them, I think are pretty blessed to get to do them because it's, um, it's an industry that it looks completely different than it did 10 years ago. Yeah. Well, that's, um, that's good that you mentioned the whole, uh, starting your own, uh, media company, whatever it might be. We just filed for meat sports, alcohol, LLC. Uh, so that's great news for us. <laughs> Make t-shirts next, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, that's super interesting. Um, uh, and so now, uh, your, your Twitter page is where you get most of your, your golf takes, your golf opinions out there and just quick, uh, quick fashion. Yeah. yeah I'm not sure, you know, ESPN loves that. I'm always offering up my golf takes still, but you know, as long as I don't do anything that crosses any sort of line, I think that's okay to still have, be a fan of golf and, and, um, yeah, it's still, it's hard for me to, I'm a, golf Twitter is such a weird, funny place, right? It's such a niche thing. It, it doesn't compare at all to like NBA Twitter or, you know, football Twitter, college football Twitter or whatever. But <clears throat> so much of it is like these various weirdo characters who I have grown to know, know and like a lot over the years and stuff. And so it's hard to like extricate yourself from that. And um, it's just fun to like weigh in on the, the tournaments every Sunday and hear a bunch of like-minded people making the same sort of dumb jokes. And some of those people who made dumb jokes now have podcasts that make a lot of money and employ people. So that's, you know, a success story in its own right. Yeah. Um, uh, speaking of weird golf Twitter things, um, 
a couple months ago, what blew up golf Twitter was Tiger Tracker um, and the whole saga behind that. Uh, did you have basically um, what came out from it was that it was a whole team of golf channel writers for it. And as an adamant, adamant uh, Tiger Tracker follower, this was shocking to me. Did you have much insight into that? Did you know the whole time and you were just laughing on the sideline or were you as shocked as I was? And if so, what other secrets can you expose? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, I did know that Tiger Tracker was uh, of one of many, was a voice of many people. Um, wow. And you could tell if you really uh, paid close attention, like depending on who what it was more formal or what it was sort of jokey. Um, and, you know, I, I think if I'm being perfectly honest, like I don't think golf channel appreciated how many people out there uh, liked it or cared about it. They never really understood like that. It was something that people, you know, could view at work. Like if they couldn't sit and watch stuff, if they wanted to follow tigers things, they, they just, I don't think a lot, it's hard to explain to an executive why certain things on the internet work. Right. And, and in part, because a lot of executives didn't come up through that same media world. And so, uh, you know, it's a shame that like the tiger tracker thing, which had a, an audience and had a voice and had people who obviously cared a lot about it, uh, felt connected to it in some way that they just kind of, stuffed it in a dumpster and then walked away you know <laughs> yeah it's a it's a good lesson in like how to badly um handle your social media brand i think seriously yeah i mean i i have yet to buy pga tour live but mm -hmm. if tiger tracker tweeted out hey i have this new so totally separate social media account that's five bucks a month mm -hmm. and obviously there's no more tiger tracking right now but Hypothetically, I would pay ten, fifteen, twenty dollars a month for that. That is, that was the best part of Twitter for me. Yeah, and you know, it just shows you it's another example of like how Tiger was the sun in the whole universe of golf. That like he made everything sort of uh, go round and round, and made hundreds of millions of dollars for you know TV companies as they um, could sell advertising based off of ratings that were you know completely tiger inflated and and with tiger, without tiger you're seeing like completely different landscape and a lot of different jobs now don't exist anymore and so you know that that era in some ways as much as golf monetized tiger it was almost like they kind of undercounted how much they could have kind of connected with people you know why wasn't there a sort of subscription service that like you know you can see now like what is it? Golf TV does some of those like lessons with Tiger or stuff or that, you know, that that's almost like the kind of thing that came like five or 10 years too late um, that people really would have, but you know, Tiger also didn't really want to do some of that stuff earlier in his career in terms of like the personal connection of things, but it's, you know, it's a shame. And it's, it's just with what's going on with his whole life. Like it's kind of fascinating that he's still with us in a lot of ways. And I've been grateful for that part, but um yeah, it's it's quite a wild ride, and I can understand how people felt a little bit betrayed when that connection to him to sort of into his world went away. Yeah. yeah, just on the subject of like enjoying golf, enjoying Tiger, watching golf. Um, I'm sure when you were covering golf for ESPN, you got to see a lot of Tiger just covering different 
PGA events and, and majors and, and things like that. Um, I guess one kind of, first of all, like what was that experience like just being able to go to all these, all these tournaments. Uh, and then also I'm sure like when it first happened, you were like, this is incredible. I get to go to all these amazing events and cover golf, like see these guys in person and everything like that. But after a while I could see it maybe not being as great. And then now just being, a fan and not only covering golf do you kind of have like an appreciation for just being able to sit on the couch and and watch it like like the rest of us maybe yeah it's interesting i saw oh excuse me i saw tiger kind of at his um at his like nadir like his complete low point i i was there at chambers bay when i shot 80 and he like topped a three wood into a bunker uh and it was just it was ugly and i was there at st andrews when he was like you know, hitting four irons fat into the burn off of the first tee there. And it just, none of it kind of like, it just didn't compute. Like it was really sad to watch him kind of crumble like that. And then I didn't get to go to the masters in um, when he won it, but I was there at uh, Bell Reeve when he almost came back and won and beat Brooks Kepka. And that was like an amazing kind of moment because it was like, I had been there at the bottom, which, you know, a lot of people hadn't been there at the bottom. I, I didn't really get to see, like, I wasn't covering golf at, you know, at his peak. I was too young uh, to sort of have been there for, you know, certainly the stuff in 2000, but, you know, even stuff in 2009, I was still like a newspaper reporter, but then, you know, to sort of see it come around again and see him, do some amazing things was really pretty cool uh, because it just felt like, you know, wow, like all of this kind of following him along for all these years was worth it. Like the, the saddest mm-hmm. parts, the misery of, you know, seeing him get a DUI and seeing him struggle with back pain and all that stuff. And just in like broadly, the first time you walk out to Amen Quarter at Augusta, it's really surreal. It just really, you're like, oh my God, like this is so friggin' cool to be here. And this looks, you know, exactly like I thought it was, but also like way more vivid and really fascinating. And then the second time it's like, yeah, this is cool. And the third time it's like, all right, like I'm here to do a job. Like I, you know, and that that's sort of like a, such a snotty thing to say like, oh, the third time I went to the master, it's like, but you know, you realize like, I think it, there's parts of it that feel a little less like fanish that um, you start to kind of really, you know, you don't, you're not as awed by it as you once were. I'd still would, you know, love to go back to the masters someday and, and cover it in some ways, but you know, that's not part of my job anymore. And so I get to sort of appreciate it again, like I said, from a different perspective and, um, and that's cool too, because like, I don't, it's there's a lot of stress like writing wanting to write like a great piece on deadline and you know having to shuffle back from out you know in the middle of the in the middle of the course where there's no cell phones and you're trying to speed walk back to your editor uh to sort of tell him this is the idea that i am gonna write about and i have 24 minutes to you know get it down and send it and so that we can you know get it up on the web as quickly as possible um, you know, all of those things were a really cool part of my job, but I also like, there's some things that I really love, like sitting around and watching golf for eight hours on TV on my couch, uh, you know, on Saturday. 
Um, so, you know, there's this, there's the sort of trade off from it here and there. Like, I, it was, it's really, really cool to go to St. Andrews and like hang out and drink in the pubs there and like then go walk a course that's been there for, you know, hundreds of years. Um, so I wouldn't trade that for, for anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you learn to kind of understand that like it's a job like anything else and you can't fanboy out all the time whenever you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, getting into the matches a bit again, thanks so much for, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we did want to get a couple of your masters takes as well as we kind of just had some dumb questions that we feel like weren't really worth time, but we just have the chance to talk to you and want to hear what you have to say about them. Right. <laughs> uh, so, good. First, just Masters, um, who's your pick? Do you have any sleepers? Who I, We talked about Spieth a little bit. Um, anyone not in, like, the top couple that, that you're, uh, you think has a shot? Um, well, it's it's less of a sleeper since he did so well in the match play, but, like, I think Scotty Scheffler's, like, game is really a lot of fun, and he's, like, he's creative, and he's a bomber, and he's, you know, he's fearless. And all of those things could like translate well at Augusta. I know he's never won a tournament yet, but um, you know, it's he's who I would think I would have said even if he hadn't played really well in the match play because I just like watching him in general. I don't think Bryson's at all a sleeper, but if honestly, if you had to tell me who do you think is going to win, I think there's a really good chance that Bryson goes and just just blitzes the course. And you know, there's a I'm sort of of two minds like. I could totally see Bryson tearing it up and having, you know, gap wedge into 14 holes and like, you know, trying to drive 18 green and, you know, taking it over the trees on 13 and completely like infuriating the masters so much that they, you know, advocate rolling back the ball at the tournament next year or something. So that's one scenario. Another scenario is essentially that it's so firm and fast that Bryson gets completely ejected and like, is staring at the wind and his yardage book and completely baffled by how this course like got the better of him. So like, I feel in some ways like the, either of those two extremes would be a lot of fun to watch because it'd make for great jokes if Bryson got completely blitzed out of it. And it would make for awe inspiring things if he was like, yeah, I'm just going to drive it, you know, 410 yards on 15 and see like, you know, see if the water's in play in front of the green. Um, who knows? Like, uh, that, so I don't know. Like, if I have a great sleeper, um, I still think like Patrick Cantlay's game is so good. He's just so sort of such a great iron player and so methodical that I could see him like breaking through and winning. Um, but I don't know. I mean, that that would probably be you know, Spieth. Obviously, I think Spieth is going to be in the mix one way or another, and that's that's just going to make it fun. It was it was great to have a masters last year that it just existed. I'm glad we had one and Dustin Johnson was certainly a worthy winner, but I, I guarantee you that they will not shoot 20 under uh, unless it's Bryson completely, you know, running away from everybody. And most likely like it'll be firm and it'll be hard and guys will really struggle on a lot of like approaches to greens that bound over and just, you know, it's like putting on in glass, you know, it's the ball's going to bounce hard. I feel like uh, that whole description of Bryson was like the perfect description of Bryson. Just it doesn't matter if he's going 20 under and tearing apart the course or if he's spending 
an hour looking for his balls that he hit in the bushes and he's making like a nine. He's great to watch. Like he's great for the sport. I'm curious, like generally kind of what your thoughts are on Bryson. He's just, he's the content King. Like he's people who think like that golf Twitter, like, Oh, they sure do make fun of Bryson. No, I think like Bryson's so good for anyone who wants to like crack jokes about golf or like be like completely riveted and locked in on a, boring ass Sunday at the Arnold Palmer like Bryson's he's such a weirdo and he's so self like unaware of like how he comes across and yet like it's not like Bryson's a bad guy he's just such a like a dork and he doesn't know he's misusing physics terms or he's you know frying bacon shirtless or yeah listening to kings of leon on a private jet and thinking that that like makes him look cool and like all of these things are just so fun to kind of like laugh about and so i i don't want bryson to change at all i want bryson to completely be making the same weirdo faces and like pounding his chest after you know victories and you know saying stuff that infuriates brooks kepka like all of that is super good for anybody who loves golf. So I'm I'm here for all of it. Totally, totally. That doing the uh, the leg workout with his weird lifting buddies with the U.S. Open trophy, <laughs> with his face on the background of his leg. Yeah, press just, I mean, you know, he's. It's like Bryson's like, what can we do to to make a cool TikTok, guys? And they're like, oh, I don't know, man. What if we lifted with the U.S. Open trophy, bro? That would be yeah. so sick. I'll just sprint in. It'll be hilarious. <laughs> it's yeah. like what you know. It's like what overeager teens think is like funny. You know? Yeah, <laughs> he really he's just like a big teen, like a big two hundred and forty pound teen that can you know, rip it three hundred and seventy yards. Yeah. Um, do you have any uh, any thoughts that uh, John Rom's new perspective as a dad? Uh, will be able to help him out at Augusta. Isn't that? It's, it's so funny. Like you know, I know we're laughing about the same thing. But it's like the the idea. It's golf writer catnip, right? It's like, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. How, how much better will you play now that you have perspective? It's, which is Being such a, a funny thing. But yeah, like think back. Be like, whoa, I didn't want to win golf tournaments before. <laughs> now that I'm a dad, this seven iron off an uneven lie into a you know a terribly tight pin on a, on the Sunday it's just so it's so much easier to have perspective on it yeah like, no like for the most part kids are make it harder to be good at golf like you're sleep that's, deprived yeah it's okay to say that it's okay to be honest about that you know it's okay to like maybe part of why Rory is like having a hard time is because it's hard to be a dad for a kid under one years old and it's hard to drag them across the country if you want to see them or be away from them all that time. So like that whole thing about Rory, Oh, finally have perspective. It's just another like thing for people to write about in a lot of ways. I guess it's what we, it's projection, right? It's what we want to think like, Oh, Rory is a great guy, but you know, he struggles sometimes with, you know, pressure to do certain things like when a major so having a child will solve all that. No, it won't. <laughs> like if Rory wins again, it won't. Having a child won't really be the reason why. I mean, Rory could even say that, and I still think it would be BS. Yeah. But it would get eaten up big time by people. Oh my God, Rory's a dad, and that his perspective as a dad is what helped him finally crack Augusta. No, it's probably because he made a lot of putts. 
<laughs> well, I gotta say, my first thought after seeing Brooks Kepka get engaged was saying Kepka's definitely gonna win the Masters this week. Weight off his back. He's not thinking about the proposal anymore. And uh, now I'm starting to rethink. I don't think that. that I don't know. <laughs> I'm starting to think I may that may have been a ridiculous thought. That I is mean, really <laughs> my favorite. Know, my yeah. favorite like golf Twitter theory is that like. Brooks would only play golf tournaments when he was invited to weddings. So he didn't have to go to weddings with Jenna because she would always be like posting on Instagram that someone actually tracked this. And like every time that Jenna was like at a wedding, Brooks was like playing in a tournament and he would set his schedule towards this and stuff. So maybe he just finally, you may be right. Maybe he finally like broke down and was like, all right, fine, let's get married. Whatever. Yeah. You know. for, for anyone else, I, I wouldn't believe it, but Brooks is the one guy that that is somewhat believable for it's totally plausible yeah. yeah yeah he might golf the weekend of his own wedding yeah <laughs> this is true yes i don't like golf guys but i like it on my wedding day yeah. <laughs> all right well i think we touched on some serious golf talk we got to some of our ridiculous questions um kevin thanks so much for joining us again uh, we were talking yeah. before the interview started, you having to propose to your editor that you're coming on a podcast called Meat Sports Alcohol. And I'm still kind of, I still can't believe that anybody would agree to, <laughs> to, to come on this after seeing that name, but we really appreciate it. And Dylan, did you have anything else you wanted to ask before? Yeah, I had one follow. I asked before this, um, and I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't uh, request this. Um I've heard uh, through various inside sources that I have in the sports media business, the sports media <laughs> landscape, that you have a, a, a very good Gary Player impression. Uh, if you want to do a quick sign off as Gary Player, uh, that would be great. <laughs> so I'll say just before I do this, is that the key to like a good impression is not that you like sound like the person necessarily, mm it's that you just sort of embody the spirit of their craziest self. <laughs> so like the way the Gary player thing came about was after Chambers Bay, when Gary player was on the golf channel the next morning and like Damon hack was like, uh, good morning, Mr. Player. How are you? And he was like, good morning, Damon. And he just launched into this like <laughs> tirade that lasted like three minutes without even being asked a question about how awful he thought that Chambers Bay was and how like it was causing like water shortages and like was designed by a guy with one leg shorter than the other. And <laughs> we laughed and laughed. I was at that US Open and we laughed and laughed about it. And like it, the thing about Gary Player is like, you can't really out Gary Gary Player. It, like you can try to say all kinds of ridiculous things like in the voice or in the spirit of Gary player. And he will always come back with something even crazier. Like I have no idea whether Gary player knows that I've been doing this dumb Gary <laughs> player impression on various podcasts for a couple of years. <laughs> I, I almost certain that he does not, but it would be the ma most amazing troll of all time. If he did know it and was like, I'm going to absolutely just outwit Kevin. I'm going to completely <laughs> say completely idiotic things until he's absolutely outfoxed because that will show that Black Knight is the true champion. <laughs> because that is like how Gary Player does things. Like yeah. he'll like slap himself in the face and like 
do sit-ups on live television and yeah. you know i was laughing about he talks all the time about how he slept on the beach his first time he ever played the british open and you know he's just constantly with like you know discussions of I was always telling my friend Nelson Mandela, you know, well, you always hit four iron on this hole. And I was like, what? Like, what? <laughs> Where's, how what does the context? Things? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so it's like a, the, he thinks he could, you know, he's always mad about cutting down trees because it's going to destroy the environment. It's just everything that Gary Player says is liable to be more crazy than anything I could ever dream of. And so whenever I go did was doing like the no laying up podcast and making jokes about it. Gary player would say something even nuttier and I'd have to like think about how I could top it the next time. So, yeah. <laughs> well, if there's one thing that Dylan and I are good at, it's getting people's attention and annoying them online. So we, you know, we'll post this video clip. I think we have a shot. If anyone could get this to yeah. Gary player, they're just constant DMing and annoying them. I we'll think we can, yeah. we can do it. So hopefully we can get an answer for you about Thank that. You. The second um, year that I was at the masters, they they changed some of the rules so you couldn't like walk from the driving range to the first tee. You had to ride in a cart. And so you'd have to get in these carts with all these other golf riders. And we were going on this sort of path and around came this cart and Gary Player was on the, the other thing. And I was just like, without thinking, I was like, Mr. Player! And he was like, yes! <laughs> he pointed back at me. And my friends laughed like so hard because it was like, I had just roped him into my own dumb inside joke without him knowing. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like you're playing chess, he's playing checkers. I think you outwitted him. Yeah. And then you have the upper hand. The... <laughs> outwitted the black knight. <laughs> All right. Um, that's awesome. Um, well, thanks so much again. Really appreciate the time. Uh, this was just an absolute blast. So thank you. Thanks, I call upon all nations to do everything they can to stop these terrorist killers. Now watch this drive. The flowers are blooming. The grass is growing. And guess what, fellas? It is time to mow your lawn. But thanks to our sponsor, Manscaped, you can trim the hedges below the belt safely and efficiently. I'm talking about ball trimmers. Manscaped, the global leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming, have an exclusive offer. We've been having it for the past month and a half. We still have it. We want you to use it. Uh, use promo code MEAT to get 20% off, plus free shipping at manscaped.com, and join the 2 million other men who trust Manscaped, who trust Manscaped to their family jewels, their balls, they literally put their their future children in the hands of this beautiful company, uh, and we do too. Uh, they're here to make sure that your balls are smooth and smelling nice. Uh, after all, it is time for some spring cleaning. So you're a consultant, Dylan, right? You, I am. You must have done in the interview process for some consultant jobs some market sizing questions. I did, yes. Well, here's a market sizing question for you. How many how many millions of dollars of hard-earned cash are coming out of people's pockets every day trying to find a solution for their ball trimming issues that Manscaped could just solve right off the mm -hmm. bat? It struck me this week. I'm like, there's all these schmucks out there trying out all these different kinds of razors, like probably putting some moisturizer on their nuts when they could be using some, some crop reviver. And I was like, 
they manscaped would solve half their issues not even including our code use code meet you get 20 percent off and free shipping it's just like people are probably just throwing dollars in the trash can lighting it on fire because they don't know how to take care of their below the below the waist grooming when manscaped is just sitting here it's like it's like waking up every day and buying a shitty starbucks coffee when you could just have a keurig in your kitchen just get the mm-hmm. manscaped it's high quality it, it, it solves all, like ha- all your needs uh, and you can get it 20% off plus free shipping using promo code meat. It's insane. I, I actually just did a quick uh, back of the napkin market sizing on your question there. Uh, every year, men in America alone, this isn't even the, you, the whole world, men in America spend $4 billion more than they should on their nuts and their ball trimming uh, accessories, whatever it might be instead of manscaped four billion dollars i'd like to say that's surprising it's not with the amount of misinformation out there about about shitty ball shaving techniques and you're saying that only includes america that doesn't even count many of the i'm just gonna say more hairy countries (laughs) that could take even more advantage of manscaped uh so thank you for that quick (laughs) so so you get 20% off and free shipping with, <laughs> with code MEAT at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with code MEAT at manscaped.com. It's spring cleaning, baby, and your balls will thank you. Damn, shoddy. Dude, I got to work in my cardanese. We're now going to do a little March Madness recap. Uh, Dylan and I do have some hot takes about the games. We did watch them. Uh, but, you know, you might get tired of hearing us after a while. So we thought, let's get our intern on the phone, Jordan, who goes to UCLA and was actually at the Elite Eight uh, where UCLA pulled off that massive upset on Michigan. We haven't told Jordan that we're going to get him on the podcast, uh, but we're pretty much just going to harass him and text him a million times until we get him on and we could talk to him about UCLA uh, and talk to him about March Madness more generally. Yep. Yep. So uh, uh, we're going to try now. going to start sending out texts and we are going to stay on the line until he comes on. I'm thinking we can make this happen. Where's boss? We make it happen. Yeah, Where's we boss? are. Yeah. He will be fired if he doesn't come on in like 15 minutes. And and I don't know how he's going to survive if he gets fired. I mean, no. you better rely on that stimmy because uh, oh, the yes. dough that we're bringing in over here at mute sports alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, all right. All right. How all serious right. are you going? I'm going to say yo emergency. Uh, yeah. Do you want to make a group text? Oh, I just texted yeah. him individually and just said, okay. yo, emergency with a link, but I would do both. Yeah. I'll make a group chat. Emergency. I may, may have been too much. <laughs> I mean, I don't want him to, well, I guess it is an emergency. All right. I made a group chat emergency. Jordan, can you hop on Dorian, or you're fired? love it love it um Uh, so now we play the waiting game yeah i mean maybe let's give some background so jordan he put together he's been putting together videos for us um i don't know if if you like the workout trailer if you like the original trailer oh my god wow that was quick that was quick you all right jordan has just joined Jordan, you deserve a raise. That was quick. That was less than like. Yeah, 
you get a raise. You get a raise. Listeners out there, Jordan is getting a raise. You get a raise from zero dollars a month and one pat on the back to zero dollars a month and two pats on the back. Exactly. Good job you're doing. Optional bonus for an incentive based bonus for a third pat on the back. Thank you for the bonus. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Okay. So, Jordan, if you can't tell by now, uh, we are recording the podcast. Um, we are doing our March Madness recap, uh, and we need we need some inside scoops. We need some on the ground reporting. Uh, you are our on the ground correspondent. You've been to the Elite Eight. Uh, you've been to, I believe, the Final Four. Uh, you <laughs> look hammered, drunk. You appear drunk. You appear quite drunk. You appear. I've, had a, I've had a few glasses. It's Easter. We're celebrating. <laughs> Jordan hath risen on Easter. Uh, all right. So why don't you walk us through what it was like, the scene at the Elite Eight? Yes, at the scene. Elite Eight. So we got – I didn't watch all the Elite Eight games. I just saw the UCLA-Michigan game. We're mostly concerned about UCLA, given about that you what? were there. About UCLA. Yeah, yeah. So – we didn't really think we had much of a chance being a UCLA Bruins fan. We're going in as 11 seed, going up against number one Michigan. They're averaging, I think, north of 80 points. And I think we hold them to 48 points in the game. But um, 49, we'll let that happens. one slide. We're going to demote you to one and a half pass <laughs> on the back. It was 49. I've, I've, but... I've had a few glasses of champagne. I don't have the stats right on the top of my head. That's all right. But, um, Yeah, it was a great atmosphere. Everybody was loving the time. And uh, yeah, the Bruins came out on top. How did you get how, you know, other than your meat sports alcohol connections, obviously, how did you how did you get tickets? How did this come to be? Was this always your plan? (laughs) MSA essentially sponsored me to go down there as the correspondent, of course. Essentially the key, (laughs) the key word there. Aside aside from the, uh, the generous sponsor as a perk of my internship here um my buddy is the manager of the bruins so we had two extra tickets that were free so me and another friend got to go down there which was wonderful that is awesome did did you were you at the game last night yeah well i was also at the final four game and that (laughs) that was a heartbreaker yeah i have two questions for you how sick was it when he got the when juzang got the rebound put it back in and take the lead how amazing did that feel and then how horrific did it feel emotions i were i was a living sinusoidal wave i was just up (laughs) juzang gets the rebound we we get get the put back then Suggs gets the ball. I'm starting to like get a little bit nervous. Dribbles up to half court. Yeah. Launches the three off the backboard. It goes in. I just put my head into my hands and just start just nearly weeping. And yeah. it was just <laughs> it was just so horrid. Like the section I was in was all UCLA Bruins fans and just went completely silent. And then me and my buddies, we didn't really like talk to one another for a while and just lonely ride back yeah pure silence i, I gotta ask i'm seeing Man. lots of famous like lots of popular tiktoks on twitter of like people at bars ucla fans losing their mind like when when juzang shot goes in and then just like oh, getting yeah. absolutely quiet and, and getting super sad once they've lost i gotta say as our intern 
I don't see any viral TikToks from Meat Sports Alcohol <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> you didn't have the I mean, camera out for that reaction. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to put out as much content as I can, but it's just, <laughs> it's just not happening for me. I'll keep doing my job, but I don't yeah. know if I deserve the raise after all. I'm 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 a bit disappointed that. But it yeah, I mean, it was it was insane, and then I'll, I mean. And I was a little bit disappointed. I mean, it was fun being at the game, but from what it looked like, Westwood was even more fun. Like, all my friends were FaceTiming me there, and they, like, stormed the Roebling Street, which is the street right next to UCLA, and they were, like, light, lit a couch on fire, and, like, the L.A. Fire Department came down, and, like, a helicopter, like, showed up, and everybody was just running, like, crazy up and down the street. So that, that looked pretty fun, but... Still, being at the Final Four was pretty awesome. Yeah, what was me being at the Final Four? <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, how how many times? Because I think I counted at least like eight. How many times did you count Timmy do the f- stupid mustache to finger guns? Yeah, oh <laughs> Timmy is a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I like I went into the game like not liking him and then just being a fan of somebody that was going up against him. My god, that guy that guy sucks. Also he had four fouls for easily like forever minutes. Yeah, and in that that controversial charge call at the end, which mm-hmm. I mean I I don't know. It was 50-50 and I understand it, but it was still it was tough to see it live. The charge the char- when you when some non-defender comes in and takes the charge just to take the charge and that decides the game that's stupid yeah especially when it's timmy with his dumb stupid dumb ass, ass mustache. i hate everyone on gonzaga so yeah. so you're on baylor jordan i think i'm on baylor but a part of me also just you know it would be cool to say that if Baylor just gets absolutely whipped by gonzaga to say that ucla you know kept it within five uh, I, would, I would enjoy to see that. We, I feel like at that point we'd be like the second best team in the in the country. But um, I don't know. I, I, at the same time, like I, I hate Timmy. I, I would love to see. I'd love to see Baylor just whip him. And Gonzaga fans. Did you run into any super annoying Gonzaga fans? Oh my, I think it might be the worst fan base to walk this earth. I, I'm on, I'm, I've seen a lot of viral <laughs> tweets on that, but like I hate Gonzaga fans, and they're just like. They're rubbing it in your face. They're like, they're doing some stupid ass chance at the end of the game. They're like standing on like a table. Like, I don't even know what the hell they're talking about. It's just like, it's just disrespectful. And they don't, they're not even real fans. Like they're, they're living in Spokane, going to school with like 500 kids. It's like, get a job, you know? <laughs> well, well, I, mean, I agree with you. Well, and UCLA, they're a blue blood. They're tried and true. They're, they are college yeah. athletes. We, I mean, also, you know, these little punks. Matt, they can't, the, this is our second national yeah. championship appearance uh, ever. Yeah. Also, Matt, you've never won a national championship. Yeah. We've yeah. got 119 school championships, and they're coming up to us like, okay. oh, we're in the final four once. Like, oh, cool, cool beans, man. Yeah, like, get, go, get out of here. Like, we, <laughs> we don't have time for any of that. We're a true program, and we're not going to, we're not here for it. We're not going to listen to it. Or I'm also just going to say mathematically, because, you know, I'm all about the statistics. I'm all about the math, the analytics. Gonzaga is not that big of a school. The amount of fake Gonzaga fans 
has to be kind of through the roof this year. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. fuck oh, off. There's like it eight is. people at Gonzaga a year. I, no one even knows where it is. Uh, it's, we it's, do because we're sports guys. I mean, uh, they're, they might, they're probably going to run a perfect season. They've got some incredible players. But at the end of the day, like, it might be the worst perfect season that's ever existed because they're playing that's some opponents. Take. They're not playing anyone. Like we probably, we were probably the toughest opponent. We're eleven seed for them. Like it's, a, it's absolutely embarrassing. They've take walked yes. the tournament just with easy, easy games. And I'm, I'm just not here for the Gonzaga hype. Yes. I don't think they've done anything to deserve this. All right, all right. I have one here first. Asterisk season. Asterisk perfect season. If they do it, you heard it here first on Meat Sports Alcohol. Yeah, <laughs> he did. Major asterisks. Uh, I just have one more question for you. We'll let you get back to your party. It sounds like. Um, how surreal of a moment right now being on a show like meat sports alcohol that has 600 followers on instagram averages above 100 downloads an episode like this i I, you don't sound nervous i must say but like this has to be a huge moment for you i mean it is monumental (laughs) i mean i've been on shows with 400 followers 500 followers but this i think this one takes the cake and even more so to be a part of the team as an intern making minimum wage. Actually, not even minimum wage. I'm not even getting it. I made Dylan a little bit nervous with the pay with the payment. He at least told me four times when I was uh, signing on that I would not be getting paid a salary. You made that abundantly clear. <laughs> I asked for light stock options. If you're in it for the money, money, you could get the fuck out of here. <laughs> But yeah, the joke around meat sports alcohol, we are not stopping until we quit our jobs. And I know you guys quit your jobs momentarily from the 500 followers, but I mean, everybody on the team, we're quitting our jobs. I mean, it's, it's, it's the goal, and we are going to reach that goal at some point here. Yeah, our guest this week, Kevin Van Valkenberg, is a very like esteemed writer that at ESPN, like very successful career in sports media, was like – he gassed us up a bit too hard. He was like, if you want to get into sports, you should really like start your own media company, like do a podcast. Don't write all this stuff. And I'm kind of like, I'm riding high off that. (laughs) That even even gets me excited as a non ownership intern. (laughs) Yeah. You're part of the strain. You're part of the gravy going to the moon. Yeah. Well, well, thanks Jordan for joining us. wasn't really your choice. I mean, I give you a heads up, uh, but we appreciate you taking the time and uh, appreciate all you do for me sports alcohol. And oh, Jordan, pleasure as always. I appreciate wait, it. 10 seconds. Plug anything you want to plug. Where can they plug uh, reading and composition? 162. That's <laughs> yeah. my spot. Uh, Mrs. Fisher, best professor on campus. No, I'm fucking around. I don't know what you want to <laughs> I've got nothing to plug. I would say UCLA, UCLA Bruins, uh, Johnny Juzang, number three. Let's get him to the NBA. That's all I'm going to say. That guy deserves it. Average 25 points in the tournament. Go, Johnny. Go, Johnny. Ain't nothing but a Juzang. I've been saying that all year. What a Juzang. All right. Thank you, Meat Thanks, Sports sir. Alcohol. Yeah. Have Cheers. Fun. Cheers. Thank Cheers. you, man. Appreciate it. I remember those days I had no rights. I remember those days I had no sticks. And that was our show. Uh, Tune in next week. Uh, we'll be talking with Dan Klein. He's a professional cup stacker. He is ridiculous at uh, stacking cups. And that's going to be super fun to learn about that. We might, JMO and I might even be doing a little bit of cup stacking ourselves.
He's fucking filthy. He's better at stacking cups than I am at any skill individually by far. He is dirty at at putting caps on top of each other. Um, Let me hit you with an idea. I know we're trying to make a big podcast already is big and we appreciate you guys listening, share it with your friends, subscribe to the podcast, follow us on Instagram, Twitter at me sports elk. We should goodwill hunt barstool sports. Okay. Yeah. I'm listening. Like how Matt Damon in the movie Goodwill Hunting went to MIT and went up to the chalkboard and was a janitor there. Let's move yeah. to New York, become okay. janitors at Barstool Sports in the yep. New York office. And one day they'll just be like shooting a live stream and uh, we'll just be in the background like with a mop or something. It'll be like, you got to hit that. Like just start screaming oh, at the TV. Yeah. 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 Just be like... Yeah. Missing the over? Are you fucking kidding me? And uh, Dave Portnoy will just be like, these guys are the future of Barstool Sports right here. Yeah, yeah. And well, we, sh- Yeah, no, go, go, go. Best part, I, I've thought this through. I've been thinking about this yeah. all week. You know, uh, obviously, Goodwill Hunting, based in Boston. Like, hey, wicked smart. I'm a, oh, I'm a janitor. I'm a janitor. I'm Matt know? Damon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Look at these apples. I pick them myself. That whole thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. We do the same thing. New York accent. Oh yeah. Hey Dave, when you give Forget us some uh, jobs, eh? Yeah. By the podcast. Yeah, we we've been podcasting a lot. It's called the me sports and alcohol, and I was like, we gotta give these guys a fat contract. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could do like live segments. So we could just, but like act like it's just totally out of the blue. Oh my God, that's genius. Yeah. Wait, so we're like, we're like, both janitors, we're mopping a hall. Yeah. And then we're just like, we're just like, Who you got ways it? to fix baseball. We should call this the chicken coop. And then we start going off each other, like a sec, like a podcast segment, like we do. Yeah. Uh, we, we're just mopping a floor and we're like, it's now time for talking locks our sport yeah. and we don't mean salmon <laughs> and <laughs> getting into it <laughs> yeah. we, we like know all the lines on the top of, ha- of our head because we just memorized them before going out exactly. and mopping the floor exactly like i, I love this... the blue jays plus 300 tonight like <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah, yeah. we yeah. just have all of it rapid fire ready to go i thought it was yeah. a million dollar idea yeah i love that i think that's that's how we break in we've been we've been you know, getting close to breaking through and we've been trying to find that next big thing. I think taking up a job as a janitor in the barstool office in New York City is what does it for us. So I guess what we're doing right now is we're we're signing off Meat Sports Alcohol. This might be the last episode because mm-hmm. Dylan and I are moving to New York, getting some janitor jobs with Barstool Sports and we probably won't have time for stupid shit like actually doing the podcast because we'll be too busy, you know, solving floors yes yeah <laughs> writing down the spread on on a whiteboard yeah, just uh, <laughs> running the numbers writing just like a like an 18 team parlay on <laughs> the chalkboard and then leave it there and then big cat comes up and he's just like holy shit who did this how didn't i think of this oh, <laughs> only five sports betters on the planet could cook up a parlay like this <laughs> I'd be like, who, me? <laughs> well, I'm just a simple janitor. <laughs> yeah, we'll work on that. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. I love it. I love it.
So yeah, uh, potentially signing off, um, but potentially signing back on as Barstool's next big podcast, the two New York janitors. <laughs> two New York janitors. All right, fam. Peace. Peace and love. Today is gonna be the day that they're gonna throw it back to you. By now, you should have somehow realized what you gotta do. I don't believe that anybody feels the way I do about you now. Because maybe.